We all have troubles in some form or fashion. And if we're working on storytelling, how can you be as real with yourself as possible? The thing that we reward the most is being authentically you, right? So I think for me, what I would like to build, and it's going to be announced who we're building it with, people are coming to the table thinking through that prism. And I think I really want to alter the sports landscape and try to become like the male Oprah version of sports to a degree. That was ESPN host Jay Williams, who we'll be hearing from in just a moment. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The first two rounds of March Madness are over, and per usual, I don't think anyone could have predicted how the tournament would shake out heading into the Sweet 16. And no one did. Every major bracket site already has no perfect brackets. 15-seed Princeton is making quite the run after edging out Arizona and Missouri. Farley Dickinson shocked the world by beating number one seed Purdue, becoming only the second 16-seed to advance to the second round in tournament history. And that will do it. And the upsets aren't just happening in the men's tournament. Stanford is the first one seed in the women's tournament to not make the Sweet 16 since 2009 after losing to eight seed Ole Miss on their home court. Indiana became the second just one night later after losing to Miami. The madness hasn't gone unnoticed either. The first day of the men's tournament averaged over 8.4 million viewers, which is the largest opening day for March Madness in eight years. Now I'll be joined by someone who knows a thing or two about NCAA basketball, former NCAA and NBA player, and host of the ESPN show, Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max on ESPN2. Welcome, Jay. What's up, Owen? How you doing, man? I'm doing great, doing great. So just for starters, I want to ask you how how the month of March is going for you. I mean, this is a month that I'm sure brings back a lot of memories, but also is maybe your busiest time of the year. So, yeah, just how have you been? I mean, uh, my sports show, we talk about every major sporting event. So I think, uh, you know, it has a year round cadence to it, towards it, whether that's, you know, but this is always my favorite time of the year, right? Because we go in from the college football playoffs to CFP, which is something that ESPN owns to the Super Bowl and talking about Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes to, you know, then all of a sudden talking about NBA All-Star Weekend and All-Star Voting and teams and things of that sort around All-Star Weekend. And then inevitably March Madness, which this year is just chaotic because I, I do a ton of speaking engagements. I obviously we covered a tournament and on my show, it's my job to give insight, not only on seating, but also the storylines, right? From Dan Hurley and knowing Dan since I've been five years old, now the head coach of UConn and his relationship, obviously, with his brother, Bobby, who was at ASU, and they made a tournament slight run and that Duke connection to everything with FDU. Two years in a row, you've had a team from New Jersey, St. Peter's and FDU beating a number one seed. So there's just been so much going on that it kind of feels like my head is always on a swivel, but... Uh, such as the sports of life, right? That's the way of life. So what are you going to do? Yeah. And do you still watch games as a fan or because you are on all the time and like the next day, the next morning, you know, you're going to have to have something to say. Is, is some part of your brain always thinking like, like, oh, I'm going to like talk about this tomorrow or here's my angle on that. So I, I think 
TV is a prism that has evolved over the last 18 years that I've been doing television. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. <laughs> um, it used to be when you first came in that you could show uh, no sides one way or the other, right? You, you, everybody was trying to make their mark by being objective. And I think the more I've done TV, the more I've learned how to be myself. And now on the other end of that extreme, yeah, I, I gamble on games. Like I, I like to gamble. Um, it makes me uh, more in tune with a multitude of games that are going on because I have multiple things at stake, right? And it gives me different entry points on how to talk about different games because there are aspects of each game that is meaningful to me. And I think the more authentic you can be about your role that you play or that the game plays in your life is the more energy and personality that you can bring to the table while also being able to, you know, compartmentalize from gambling to enjoying it as a fan with my boys, and my friends, like we do every single weekend to also, you know, breaking down the actual game and being able to decipher, you know, what are the good plays, where are the bad plays and tell the audience why more importantly, these things are occurring. That, that TV piece is, is very interesting to me. I feel like we've gone from everyone needs to be objective to at least there was a period where it felt like no one could be objective or just like you have to like come in with a big take and a lot of passion. And especially on, you know, like with, with like Stephen A and that whole realm of media, um, obviously there are, that's not everything. But do you feel like things have reached some kind of settling point? I mean, settling point's the wrong term, I guess, because it's always evolving. But... Have things like ramped down a little bit from the, like the super big loud takes? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I think one of the problems with with TV and and granted, uh, bold takes sell, right? So those things go viral. I think that my approach is uniquely different. Bold takes naturally will occur the more I actually talk about the game, the game and refute things from people who don't watch the games. Like, I'll be real with you, right? Like, it's hard to watch every single basketball game every single night and give an informed opinion. So you see habits that are formed over the years you can do TV from people in which, and I'm not alluding to anybody, but, oh, and like people can look, I can look at a box score from playing the game for 20 plus years and tell you a lot of the nuances that occurred in the games. And I can make points off a box score, or I can actually watch the game, then look at the box score and say, oh, the style that I see actually equates to the stat. And now I can tell you how that plays into a larger role. Now, there are certain mind hacks when it comes to doing TV, right? And I've learned a lot of them throughout my 18 years doing it. I can pick a theme. Like, let's say the theme is for the Philadelphia 76ers, like, I could care less whether Joel Embiid wins an MVP. I know that's good for his individual resume. I know some people, it becomes extremely passionate when they hear Jokic is going to win it three times in a row and the company that puts him in, as opposed to Giannis winning it for the third time where we have fatigue of Giannis and Jokic. But frankly, for me, the storyline is James Harden. James Harden gave up money to be with the Philadelphia 76ers. Last year, he was not in his best shape. You ended up talking about him more negatively than you did positively, right? So boom, that's the theme. So now the theme is, hey, will Joel Embiid get an MVP? Yeah, but can James Harden help Joel Embiid get over the hump? Because every superstar needs a sidekick, 
right? And can that sidekick step up? So I think once you build themes, then you can follow that theme throughout the course of the year. And whether it tell you something that was reductive or inductive, right? On whether it fits across that parallel line. So I think there are different ways to go about it where you can still talk about the game and not just say something for the sake of saying something. I have to ask, do you think we're moving beyond the like, because we had like, I don't know, 10 years of like big three teams. Like it was the Celtics and it was the Heat. Um, and like that was who won the NBA finals from almost every every year for a little while. It was like a team with big three three superstars. Now it feels like maybe it's more of like a, an ensemble cast with like a Batman and Robin kind of thing. Um, it, it, am I just talking nonsense or does that make sense to you? No, I, I think it's uh, the former. I think it's nonsense. We've always had big threes in basketball. Guys, since the beginning of since the beginning of time, like you can look through the history and see multiple teams, Laker teams, Boston Celtics teams. Um, look at what's happening with Phoenix right now with Kevin Durant, CP3, and Devin Booker. You're, you're going to tell me those aren't three big time players? Every time I look at the damn TV, I'm seeing CP3 on the State Farm commercial. Okay, uh, every time I uh, open up the internet, I'm reading about Bad Bunny writing a lyric in his new song. You know, saying. Uh, she likes the warm weather in Puerto Rico better than she likes it in Phoenix, right? And every time I look up, I see Kevin Durant in which something I helped with him and Rich Kleiman build out the boardroom and talk about other aspects of the game. So I, I think you, this big three still exist, uh, whether it's at the level of having three top 15 players. But I can also tell you, I think Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Drew Holiday are a big three. You know, Chris Middleton has only played 28, 29 games, but yet Drew Holiday has stepped up, right? Chris Middleton was a 50, 40, 90 guy. You know how hard it is to shoot 50% from the field, 40% from the three-point line, and 90% from the free-throw line, right? Like, that that's... Yeah, it's uh, like only a handful of guys have ever done that, right? Yeah, so what, we're not going to call Chris Middleton special? Does he have the same pop and sexiness to his name as a Kyrie Irving? No, but people who know basketball know that that dude is something special and different. So... I still think the big three is a thing. We'll hear the rest of the conversation right after this. 2000, 2008, 2022. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. Uh, you got into a thing with Stephen A. a couple weeks ago. We don't need to rehash that whole thing. I got um, into a lot of things with Stephen A. More. Right, yeah. And, you know, I mean, Stephen A. always comes up in these conversations because um, he's someone who he always has a take but he also has like, I mean, I think the reason he's so good at his job is he has such a feel for the theater of television, the performance of it. And um, and for him, like it, it's, you know, I I think some of his takes are fine and some of them think are, are kind of ridiculous. But I think he's maybe the best person 
at what he does because he uh, he's a performer. He's entertaining. He's he's great for television. And um, and you make an interesting contrast to him because you tend to be more measured, but you don't back down. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering, like, how you see him in the television world, how you see the two of your relationship. And um, and I'll, I'll leave it there. But I, I'm curious to get into that exchange because it, you know, it felt personal, but it also felt like a performance, at least on his end. So, um, yeah, talk to me about all that, if you will. I wasn't intimidated playing against Kobe Bryant. What the hell makes you think I'm going to be intimidated going against Stephen A. Smith? I mean, I played against some of the best athletes in the world. I've sparred intellectually with some of the smartest people on this planet because of the rooms that I've been able to walk into, obviously graduating from Duke in three years, being involved in a multitude of different businesses and what I've been able to do via TV. So for me, I don't feel the need to back down from anybody. And I think Stephen A. Smith is one of the best there is in TV. I also believe that I'm one of the best at what I do. I'm just very different. For me, the entertainment aspect of it is real to me. Like I'm not somebody different talking to you than I am with my family, than I am walking down the street, kicking it with somebody, right? This is who I am 24 seven all the time. So for me, I always get live when I talk about sports and I also get live when, but I also understand the game, Owen, right? Like the game is every single day when you're on TV, are you bringing something interesting to the table? That's exhausting sometimes, right? Especially when you're on TV. I told you before, there are a lot of days I'm on TV for six hours a day. How the hell can I remember what I said yesterday? Unless you have to be measured sometimes. You have to think through what it is that you're actually going to say. You have to watch a lot of games. You have to study personality traits. And I think that's one of the benefits that I have. See, as a guard, as a PG, I had to learn who my teammates were. So how do you learn who people are? You watch. You pay attention to what they say. You write things down. You jot notes. Like, oh, that was very descriptive. Can I hold your feet to the fire on that remark? Can I hold your feet to the fire? And for me, that's the game of TV. So it's like when you come, when I come on first take, I'm ready to spar. You can call it personal. You can call it entertainment. I don't give a damn what you call it. Like, I'm ready to engage. And I know a lot of times I'm giving it from the player perspective and a lot of times you may be giving it from the management perspective, but to me, that makes great TV. I never take it personal. Things may get heated. We may yell at each other. Like we had an awkward as hell moment the other day when I felt like he was giving personal takes on Kyrie, right? He said he wasn't. Now I stopped talking about it. He talked about it afterwards on another pod, but then on other pods, he talked about taking it personal. I'm like, okay, got it. Just tell me it's personal. That's fine. Right? So like for me, like, I'm willing to engage pound for pound. That's what TV should be. I think that makes it entertaining. And what happens when the camera stops? So you're, you're maybe you're still at the table. Is it the same kind of vibe? Like, is there some part that like not switches off exactly, but like gets oh, toned no. down? And be like, all right, now that we're not rolling anymore, it doesn't switch off, Owen, and that's okay. That's okay. We Stephen A. Smith is my boy. Stephen A. Smith is like a bigger brother to me. What do brothers do? They fight sometimes. Like, it's cool to fight. <laughs> you know, like, I don't walk away saying, oh, I don't like Stephen A. He ain't like, uh, no, I, I know what the pecking order is. Like, I, I know who the highest paid man is on our network. I know the clout that he brings. Now, that's not going to force me to step down or back down from him. I'm going to engage. We're going to swing at it. 
just like normal brothers do. But when we step off the camera, like, I'm cool. I got no qualm, no issues at all. I got nothing but love. We just engaged. It's like when you when they play a basketball game, right? Like I played against people that were my brothers. It didn't stop me from wanting to rip your head off. Like I appreciated Kobe Bryant. I tried to kill Kobe Bryant every time I played against him. I wanted to dominate him. Now, most of the time it didn't work out to my favor, but I, I'm not going to feel nervous or feel worried about, well, we're close. No, I'm not. I'm not competing to be your friend. I'm competing to win a debate. So sorry, that's my mentality. That's all I got. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's obviously something you see in a, a ton of athletes is like they come ready to play. They want to win every single time. And I've talked to, you know, obviously any number of athletes who have then gone on to do other things with their life. And they, they always say that, um, you know, that like if you like put me in, in any situation, like I would still be that same guy. I would still bring that same mentality. Like that's who I am. Like I chose to go into athletics because I, whatever, I have natural abilities, whatever it was. Uh, some of them wouldn't even say I have natural abilities. Some of them would just say I have that drive and that would just pro propel me in anything I did. Um, but it is interesting how like being an athlete both seems to be like obviously involves physical gifts if you're doing it professionally, but as much as, you know, as much or more, it involves like a psychological mindset of like, whatever, I'm, I'm up against Kobe Bryant, I'm going to try to take him down. I'm going to give him everything I got. Well, it's the same mindset when you do television, right? If if I go back in time to me as an as a 18 year old young man, when I was a sophomore in college, when I had a bad game, if I listened to what everybody said around me or what random people said, there's no way I win a national championship. There's no way I steal one national player of the year award. Boom, right there, right? There's no way I steal another one over there, right? Like, so for me, I think there are certain people on my board that I truly trust for objective feedback. Outside that board, I'm not worried about your opinion of me. And I think it's the same way via TV. If I were to listen to the chatter on social media every day, if I were to type the name Jay Williams into the search of Twitter, I'm sure I would find nasty things said about me, nasty things said about my family. But none of those people know me. They don't spend any time with me. They're trying to make an assessment based upon my energy of delivering my feedback on a game or a particular situation. So for me, like I'm gonna continue to do my thing at a very high level, I'm going to continue to respect the people that I work with, but I'm also here because I want to be one of the best. And I also know that my relationships that I have with a lot of players, former and current, is very contrarian to how natural media works, right? I'll give you an example. So 80% of headlines that we end up reading as sports fans about players are leaked from teams. So when you hear reporters come out, well, I was talking to blah, blah, and, you know, I heard from a source, right? A lot of times players don't feel like they are seen as equals at the same table as the higher brass or owners. So a lot of narratives are dictated based upon what the franchise wants you. I'll give you an example, Lamar Jackson, okay? I've read so many headlines that state we've given him 
like a source says, the Ravens have given him everything he wants. What, what, really? Yeah, well, then when I hear Lamar Jackson say, well, they've only offered me $133 million guaranteed. Wait, wait a sec. That's not everything he wants. You know, well, we're giving him everything in the kitchen sink, and we've tried times to talk about him. Then when I talk to people who are very familiar and close to the situation, they're like, they haven't came to the table to talk to me once about it. So unless they start saying things like that, but who has a louder voice, right? Who are people in with? So my thing is like, if you can kind of, I guess, balance that line where you're like, oh, I'm getting information from here. I'm also getting information from there. Let me make my own opinion about it. That's how I like to operate instead of just dropping nuggets that come from places that can then sway the opinion or narratives on individuals. Yeah, right. And like not, to, you know, I, I have all the respect in the world for my sports media brethren. But obviously, when you hear something like the Ravens are giving everything Lamar Jackson wants, um, like who who is in the position to like be that source? There's only a handful of people and they're pretty much all within the team. Uh, I understand you have a uh, you're starting a production company. Can you can you tell us anything about that? I, I cannot. Um, it is in the works. It's going to be a, a pretty big thing. Uh, we'll have an announcement pretty soon. Um, I'm super stoked about it, though, because I feel like, you know, Owen, I almost died at the age of 21, right? And one of the best things I ever did, it was through Duke, I had to enter a program where I got raw and honest feedback from 25 people around me. And the feedback during that period of my life was so imperative because I think a lot of times as a young man who was thrusted into fame and success for a sport that I would have, that I continue to play today on one leg, right? Out at the YMCA, I would have continued to play basketball for the rest of my life, regardless of whether I got paid or not. It put me into this world where it was very hard to try to learn about who I was as a person because I was to everybody else what I did. So if I was the basketball player to everybody, how the hell would I even learn how to compartmentalize who Jay is? And then I go through this horrific, you know, accident, this opportunity to learn more about myself in life. And that was very confusing to me. But one of the things I, I learned about that is that throughout that process of reading feedback from people and then addressing them individually, and talking to a therapist about it, I was like, well, I was forced to confront a lot of my shit, a lot of my own stuff, right? These mental blocks that were in my way that I couldn't see because maybe I was so one dimensional. I was so focused. And I think that's my superpower when I'm on TV. I talk about things differently, right? Like I can talk about X's and O's all day or I can talk about behavioral patterns like and talk about the youth, i.e. John Morant, like, hey, if you watch certain video videos that Ja has posted himself, you see certain things that can be concerning if they're not met head on and he's forced to deal with it because of the lifestyle that comes along with the opportunity that you have to play a sport, right? And most of the time I get feedback from people that say, well, who are you? You ruined your life in a motorcycle accident. I'm like, okay, so when you have an injury, uh, do you go to somebody who's never performed surgery on somebody before? No, you go to somebody who's performed countless surgeries, who's who has an expertise in these type of things, right? A doctor, when your car breaks down, do you go to your friend down the street who's never worked on a car? No, you go to a mechanic, right? So I often say, look, we all have shit in our life. We got things going on. We all have troubles in some form or fashion. And if we're working on storytelling 
How can you be as real with yourself as possible? Because I think for a lot of people, we can sift through BS so quickly. You can tell if something was a PR play. You can tell if somebody uh, has memorized a script or whether it comes from the heart. And the thing that we reward the most is being authentically you and coming to the table and saying, this is who I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm a work in progress just like you, right? So I think for me, what I would like to build, and it's going to be announced who we're building it with, people are coming to the table thinking through that prism. And I think I really want to alter the sports landscape and try to become like the male Oprah version of sports to a degree um, and talking through things instead of talking at people. All right. Well, we'll have to have you back on when when you make the announcement. Super curious about that. Jay Williams, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you. And have a good one. Man. Thanks for listening. A quick note before we go, we had some technical difficulties yesterday. So if your Mike Tyson episode is only eight minutes long, re-download it or go to the Front Office Sports Today page on any podcast service to listen to the whole thing. You don't want to miss that one. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.